The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced with Paxton and Justin. Uh, I'm Paxton. With me is my co-host, Justin. Say hello, Justin. Hello. Thank you. Justin. Ha! There's, there's a twist for you. No one saw that one coming. Uh, well, that was, that was, it was, a, it was a clean, crisp intro and getting right into it. If I sound uh, a little wonky today, um, it's, it is, it is not my fault, or it might be that too. I, I, I can't say for certain. I feel like you're not really often aware if you sound wonky but who knows point is if i sound wonky it's because i'm at my parents house right now because i'm having work done on my car and the dealership is right next to my parents house so i I have popped in here for the afternoon uh this is incredibly interesting uh material that i'm sure everyone is riveted by Uh, In case you're wondering, I needed to get my brake pads replaced. So that's what I'm doing. Anyway, the reason I sound wonky is because uh, there's construction being done in my childhood bedroom right now. So I'm currently in my sister's room, which has no tables or desks of any kind. So I am uh, sitting on her bed and holding a microphone in my hand. So sound will probably be moving. uh, my, My voice will probably be traveling a lot in this episode. Just FYI. That's right. my situation. All right. So just to uh, just to sum up, uh, your uh, your vocal brake pads are getting replaced, and that is why your voice sounds weird, right? Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself, okay. Justin. Yeah. That's... So okay. So if you get on on a long sentence and you just can't stop it for some reason, we know why. Because that's totally not par for the course for me. <laughs> that's not every single week on this show. This is this is why I'm getting my brake pads replaced because they've been in disarray for months. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, anyhow. what's happening? Yeah, what's happening in the news? In the 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 non personal news? Uh, in the in the non personal news, uh, things are still quite bad. Um, but in the in the <laughs> entertainment realm of news, things are still quite bad but there's some cool stuff in there too um (laughs) man things are bad aren't they yeah they're not great they're not great things are bad speaking of speaking of folks i want to take this time and i'm using a sardonic tone of voice here but i do i do mean this sincerely so i'm going to drop the tone of voice right now and talk like a person uh there's a few days left to uh register to vote in the state of california uh, if you haven't done so already, I, I strongly urge you to do so. There are obviously a lot of important issues up and down the ticket. Presidency is a big one. Uh, wherever your proclivities <laughs> may lie, 
on the political sphere. Uh, that That's your own business. Um, but the presidency is very important. And I feel like we've made no secret, uh, Justin, where yours and I lie. But Stuff up to your up to our listeners, whatever they want to do. I have got my mail-in ballot right here. I'm going to drop it at a ballot box uh, this evening. So there's that. I we're recording this on Thursday, so by the time you're listening to this, I will have uh, officially done my civic duty. Um, and, and and yeah, just just uh, vote early if you can. Vote in person, even better. Um, and uh, let's let's just. Let's give this old saving democracy thing a shot. Let's, you know, give the old college try. It might not work, but maybe it will. And I want to try. Yeah, there are some significant propositions on the ballot that um, one of which you've probably been getting a lot of uh, propagandistic, propagandistic emails about from uh, your favorite apps. Uh, oh um, boy, oh, 22. Uh, yeah so anyway there are um yeah you know there's national and local considerations uh yeah 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 Yeah. and that's yeah definitely like i i don't just urge people to vote on the presidency though i do urge people to vote on the presidency of course uh like i said all up and down the ballot um do your homework do some research on the proposition see where you stand uh one of the very cool things about about local measures um, and propositions like that are the fact that um, they tend to be less partisan. There, there, there is still partisanship involved, but like everybody I know, always tends to have the one or two contrarian votes. They're just like, oh, I, I, I like, I like the conservative take on X thing, or vice versa. Um, so there's there's more homework to be done. There's more uh, range to take your political voice. Uh, if that's if that's a way you wanna you wanna look at it, uh, regardless, yeah, uh, let's let's try and get out the vote. Things things are not great right now, and I'm not here to tell you that they're gonna be great tomorrow. But uh, you know, again, let's let's give it a shot. Anyhow, <laughs> in in not wildly depressing news that makes me more depressed the more words come out of my mouth. Um, Resident Evil the movie. Oh wait, I'm even more depressed now. <laughs> um, well, that that backfired horribly. Uh, anyhow, in in the news of 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 uh, the Resident Evil sphere, which we have spoken on this show uh, quite a bit about Resident Evil, uh, both our enjoyment of the franchise, my particularly kind of ravenous love of it the games not so much the movies uh director johan roberts uh is looking to to revisit the original two games as inspiration for a rebooted resident evil movie franchise uh which is kind of a big deal when you consider the fact they've been making resident evil movies like for almost as long as they've been been making video game movies like i think the first one came out in like 99 or 2000 and then the most recent one i want to say came out between 2015 and 17 somewhere in that ballpark they've been making them pretty consistently yeah that um um, that sounds about right i mean there were like in total seven of those movies i think right six or seven yeah that that was a series that went longer than i feel like most people like ever even like realized and yeah and you know and and, uh the original um resident evil 
film series uh, directed, I think, uh, across the board by Paul W.S. Anderson and, um, and starring uh, Mila Jovovich. Yeah, like, you know, as you kind of indicated, Paxton, uh, that's a series that people have, um, I think, mixed feelings about would be... It's generous. Well, I don't know. Like that's the thing. Maybe it's not like, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like where it's like it's mixed feelings is like the I was thinking like that's the nice way to put it, but that is actually I think the way like people respond to these things, especially in retrospect, because like these are movies that um well Paxton like I'm gonna I'll prompt you to speak to this in a second because like these are films that like only really like follow the the plots of the games and like broad strokes and generally kind of like more through like uh like light illusion through characters and like plot elements rather than like any kind of like actual like adapting the uh the plots of the games straightforwardly and so they kind of became like these films kind of became their own thing and a thing that a lot of people or a lot of critics at least like really didn't enjoy at their outset so yeah Paxton uh, can you speak to like what are your thoughts on these on these things that um are called Resident Evil but don't really resemble Resident Evil the games yeah it, I mean it's it's I my my take is a is a mixed bag as well um because so I I, I yeah there we, as we said there's about six or seven of them and I we were talking before the show I think we both have seen like kind of bits and pieces of all of them I've seen the first one and I want to say the fourth one, whichever the one that was in 3D where they're in a prison. I watched those two in full and then I've seen clips of, of a lot of the others. Um, and and yeah, that that's that's pretty it's pretty on point. Um, the f- way the franchise generally tends to work is, is its own sort of convoluted pretty uninteresting story from what I've gathered about Mila Jovovich uh, who's like a like she's I, it's been a while since i've seen the first movie but she's basically like a, a, an assassin with uh amnesia like it's two two big old protagonist cliches plopped right on top of one another um who, I, th- who I think she's a clone at some point it gets revealed that she is a clone or has been cloned by umbrella cloning becomes part of it and to be clear cloning as far as i can really remember is not a significant part of the actual game franchise uh, and there are there are elements of the games that cross over uh, you know um, the umbrella corporation is a major part of it the t virus is a major part of it um there are characters that pop in chris is there claire is there jill is there uh, uh different enemy types show up without really any justification for their presence um so like there is there are cameos but the core plot it follows is completely unrelated to the main series that that's not i think where i take issue i actually think that is uh kind of cooler to do like is to take place in the same universe as the games but tell your own story i actually think that that is a a better way to approach um a movie based on a uh, a long-standing uh ip I think that just gives you more potential to do things creatively, but also, yeah, lend yourself to those cameos. That's not where I take issue. Where I take issue is the fact that um, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson doesn't make very good movies. Um, Paul W.S. Anderson kind of tends to make bad movies, with the exception, obviously, of Event Horizon. But Event Horizon is another conversation for another day. Uh, And, you know, we can talk Mortal Kombat if you want. 
<laughs> I got nothing positive really to say about Mortal Kombat. It is what it is. Um, I, I watched the Mortal Kombat movie uh, years ago, and like I didn't enjoy it then, but I don't really trust any opinions that I developed before I turned like 25. So like that's one of the, it's one of the million things that I saw before I turned 25 that now demands a kind of a reevaluation. Fair enough. I don't. I watched Mortal Kombat the movie about six years ago, so it's been a minute for me too. But I feel like I remember it freshly enough to say that that I don't think it warrants that much reevaluation. I think you're okay. I, I, I there are people who would crucify me for saying that. I know um, there are people who swear by that movie. Um, it's not very good, guys. Watch, I don't know, The Drunken Master. There are a lot of other better martial arts movies out there. Um, Mortal Kombat better than its sequel though well that well honestly agree to disagree mortal Kombat annihilation is a is a much more fun time i will get i will give it that much (laughs) um i i i had a lot more fun with it and i will just to go off on a quick tangent i i will uh uh just revel in a moment of past glory when i was i think 10 or 11 as middle school age like early middle school age maybe late elementary school I, I used to go to the san diego comic con every year as a kid and one of my favorite uh panels to go see was always the riff tracks panel which riff tracks for those who aren't familiar are what um the original cast of uh, mystery science theater 3000 it was their sort of semi reboot of mystery science theater that they did online back in like the late aughts and early tens they might still be doing it um it was basically mystery science theater but with no you know sci-fi element it was just watching movies and riffing on them and also there was um they tend to do more like blockbusters and like uh, uh large scale movies they did like the star wars and harry potter franchises for instance but they also did a lot of like b like b movie schlock too anyway at the panel uh they always would they would do a q a at the end wherein people would suggest uh, what the next movie they were going to riff over was and everybody got to every, everybody gets in line they 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 say a movie and then they give their justification as to why they should riff on it and ultimately at the end the guys would decide what movie they were going to go with and then that would be the next movie they riffed on i went up and suggested mortal Kombat annihilation and uh made a very good case for it and i got a lot of backup from the crowd uh and between uh, like maybe 15 to 20 suggestions it came down between my suggestion of mortal Kombat annihilation or the movie dragon wars which was suggested by somebody which i which was a sci-fi channel movie that somehow got a theatrical release back in like 2008 uh it was it was a it was a very neck and neck competition there was sort of heated debate between both the the guys themselves and the audience Ultimately, Dragon Wars unfortunately eked out a win. But I know in my heart of hearts that I very nearly got the Rift Tracks guys to do Mortal Kombat Annihilation. The point is the Rift Tracks slash MST3K guys acknowledged me when I was like 10. And that was pretty cool. Anyway, what were we talking about? Resident Evil or something that doesn't matter? Uh, yeah, Resident Evil or something. Sorry, you were talking about almost living the dream. And I think that's more important. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so the Resident Evil movies. Yeah, I don't know. Like the thing is, um, I watched the first one. That's like the one that I remember like the most vividly. And I 
didn't at the time because this was years ago i was like watching it on a laptop alone which i feel like is very much not the ideal way to watch uh like b-movie schlock like alone mostly a laptop is fine yeah (laughs) um but uh there's um there's a kind of like appreciation for these films i think as these kinds of like truly schlocky kind of uh sometimes like pastiche works where like because like the third one is essentially mad max which um is uh you know like a, a, a narrative and aesthetic departure for the resident evil movies as they as they had been thus far um, and it, it still is, I would say, probably the most aesthetically interesting one in the franchise. Yeah, and um, and I know, and I know, uh, I have a friend, I have a friend of mine um, who's uh, you know doing doing a PhD in film studies, so you know he's serious. Who um, <laughs> who is very fond of, I believe, the uh, the fifth one, which is um, what, there's a one of these movies like takes place primarily within like you know, simulated environments in a supercomputer. And it's like very kind of like very directly kind of, uh, you know, engaging with these like meta commentaries on like the, the cinema and games and cinema and violence. And I'm not saying it's doing it necessarily very well. Um, like, again, I haven't seen the thing, but I know that like there is, you know, within this kind of like, yeah, like uh, sometimes poor plotting and like honestly some kind of like boring action sequences. Like I'm not like, like I know people are like, there are people who are like really all about the the laser tripwire scene in the first Resident Evil movie. It's a cool um, scene. It's, I, yeah, I don't know. Like the- There's like cool the, set pieces and stuff. Like it's funny. Like there's a good, like, like the, the payoff where, you know, like you, they all dodge the laser and then it just becomes like this undodgeable grid that just, you know, annihilate. And, and like, I guess like the way it kind of like follows movement instead of being, anyway, sorry, I'm now kind of like, yeah, okay. This see, it's a like, cool see, scene. Thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think like this is the kind of, um, I, I think this is the kind of engagement with these movies that like, I think B-movie schlock, which is something that I feel like we are not seeing as much of in terms of, well, I mean, I was going to say theatrical releases, but like our entire relationship to theaters is changing now. But like, like the Resident Evil movies are an interesting kind of uh, historical text in like, insofar as like they are a bit of kind of like they're a schlocky franchise that persists, it seems like beyond beyond the time that it should in an era that is getting you know in terms of like franchise action cinema getting dominated you know more and more by these kind of basically like we're seeing this kind of like the rise of the like very refined blockbuster and like the red and like the resident evil movie series kind of like starts before we start you know before we get like the rise of marvel as the kind of like the blockbuster format but then it like persists through like a decent kind of stretch of like the Marvel film era. And that I think, you know, just, it makes them interesting in a way that like they, maybe they wouldn't be otherwise, or, you know, maybe, or maybe interesting in a way that I think like you and I can hopefully see, even if we're not necessarily like entertained by these things, like throughout their like full durations. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a really interesting, and uh, frankly, I would I would say it's like sad. Maybe it's purely out of just a nostalgia and me you no know, like change kind of thing. But there is a 
a sad metamorphosis that the blockbuster has taken in the last uh, 10, 15 years, which of course, you know, you have uh, the just balls to the wall exploitation of brand recognition with, you know, like things like Disney and Marvel and like that, that's a whole other level of, of scuzziness, but I'm talking about just in general uh, blockbusters made by a by committee and B by uh, people who grew up with certain franchises and IPs that are being adapted and understand the ins and outs and uh, Hollywood executives actually listening to them, which is so, it's so weird to even be complaining about because it is something that for, I remember all of the aughts and you know, what little part of the nineties I have some vague memory of like was a major complaint of like, just let the fans handle X thing. Like these, these producers don't know. Uh, And like, that was a complaint I was in on, but now that the fans are handling everything, there's such a weird sort of squeaky clean polish to everything. And it's like, oh, I, I miss when movies, like I miss when big blockbuster adaptations of things uh, were mostly stupid and like kind of incompetent, but like done with creativity and gusto and passion. It's like, it's like comparing the star Wars prequels to the new sequel trilogy. The new sequel trilogy is, is uh, made expressly with both fans and children, like longtime fans and children in mind, consumers, people who will consume the product and buy the toy and whatnot. Um, it is made with those people in mind and it is made to please the, the greatest amount of people. And ultimately it succeeds in being a perfectly passable, safe milk toast series of movies. The sequel, the, the prequels, on the other hand, uh, are a complete incompetent mess with, with a complete card with like total cardboard characters, absurd storytelling, uh, incredibly ham fisted political analogies. Uh, but you can't say they weren't creative. You can't say Luke, George Lucas wasn't throwing everything at the wall regardless of whether or not it's stuck um and that is a thing that i think we are seeing uh as a as a kind of a bygone relic of cinema and again it's a weird thing to lament because it is literally us as audiences being given exactly the thing that we have always wanted which is good solid competent adaptations of franchises but with that competence um, I think you forego creativity and boldness like detective Pikachu or Sonic the Hedgehog, for instance, both like actually fine movies, shockingly fine movies. Yeah. Um, there are video game movies and they're actually like pretty good, but like, they're not that memorable. They're, they're safe. They sold tickets, they sold toys, they did well overseas. And that's literally all they needed to do. And, and I, there's, there's, there is a, a part of me that genuinely misses when something like the Resident Evil movie franchise was so at the forefront of, of, of things, just because, again, they were also made as cynical cash grabs, but they were made as cynical cash grabs by people who were out of touch and trying to figure out what people wanted and had no clue. And there is a weird sort of charm in that. Yeah, it's like weird. Like, it, it's really kind of weird and awful what like the present state of the blockbuster does to our like our desire for like 
things that have gone because like because like the star wars prequels like and star wars originally like all of these things were about selling toys like the whole you know like the whole thing with like the original star wars films like part of why you know like why the blockbuster really took hold was because like franchising became this like you know this method of money making but nonetheless you know like we but nonetheless i I feel like this is like something that is like widely happening now like we look back at something like the star wars prequels and we go man those were films with authorial intent and vision (laughs) it's just like i i I want to be very clear i am not the the i'm not putting jar jar binks on a on a pedestal i'm saying jar jar binks was at least more of a more of a bold creative executive decision than uh I can't remember a single character from the sequel trilogy and they just happened, but that there's my point, man. uh, Sorry. I'm just reflecting on the fact that like, I, you know, I, I liked the last Jedi quite a bit, but like really like have no kind of um, like, like I have no like residual like fondness for, or really interest in rewatching any of these films now. I mean, that might just be the fact that the last one was really bad, but um, the thing that I feel like, I see expressed a lot is that now, you know, like we're watching all these very refined blockbusters and like yearning for a period where people could make bad movies that had some kind of like identifiable ambition where like with like the Resident Evil films, like you, you, you see these attempts to kind of like talk about the cinema and to like, like think like it, it is, you know, an example of the medium thinking about itself and with something like the Star Wars prequels, you're watching someone take, you know, like the like the format of, you know, digital cinema and really failing to make an, an interesting looking film using <laughs> this, you know, using like this relatively new medium, one could argue. And but he's still trying, you know, like you look at Attack of the Clones and like, you know, in retrospect, we go, oh, this is such an ugly film because no one knew how to light digital cinema. And like we you can see like the growing pains of this. um, Yeah, like uh, of this kind of like new way of producing films here. And like that is interesting. And I think that kind of. um, And like what we're, you know, and what we're so like kind of like enmeshed in now is we're watching like strategies of production change, you know, like we're seeing kind of these like macro level kind of like moves by corporations. And that's, uh, that's just less fun to yeah. be in the middle of, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, it's so odd. It'll be interesting to see what the, the next generation's sort of uh, takes on, on art and media are. Cause I, I'm not here to be, you know, uh, uh, as they as they say, a boomer about these things. Like, uh, there's possibly so much more merit to the Star Wars sequels than I have any idea. Uh, I, I really don't think so. But there was also dorks having this same exact irrelevant conversation in 2002 when the prequels were being ravenously consumed by us as children and they were saying that these films have no merit and now here we are going but they kind of like so i mean we'll this is my sort of glass half full perspective on things um 
it, it may be less lukewarm than we realize, and it's possible that we're just getting more jaded the older we get. It's also more likely than anything else, a bit of A and a bit of B. Um, but it, uh, one thing oh, – there's a cameo from your cat. Hello. Yep, yep here um, he is. I think one thing we're also seeing, just if I may, before we before we go to break, um, is we're seeing this – I think I think this is hitting video games the hardest. Remember bad AAA video games? Remember when AAA game studios made bad games all the time? When's the last time like a truly horrendous AAA game came out? Was it like The Quiet Man in like 2018? And even, and even then, like, I don't even think that like that, like studio producing that game counts as a AAA studio anymore. And I mean, yeah, like I miss like, I miss the era of like games that got like the games that got like seven out of tens on, you know, like the game review sites that were like secretly the best things that were coming out at the time. Yeah, like that's just, yeah, like that era of like experimentation, like even this like light experimentation is gone. Yeah, I mean, and again, ultimately the note I want to sort of leave this on before we before we go to break is uh, I wholeheartedly concur. I think this is the case. I also think you and I are, are yeah, we're, we're, we're jaded aging nerds and that's that makes for a, a bad cocktail of media consumption. So maybe it's more on us than the media itself. Who knows? Uh, if, point is, if you happen to like the Star Wars sequels or Sonic or what have you, enjoy the thing you like. Don't let us friggin' decrepit crab apples if, uh, shape your perspective we don't know what we're talking about just as much as you don't so on that note uh, we are going to go to break and we'll be back shortly uh, stay with us This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. You're listening to Socially Distanced with Paxton and Justin. I am Justin, and with me is my co-host, Paxton. Say hello. Hello. Well Period. done. <laughs> Good stuff. I'm, um, I'm not yes ending it anymore. I'm stop, stopping <laughs> it there. Stopping it there. Momentum. Let's keep her going. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so this is our um, this is our segment, uh, Feast in the Weast, where we talk about the uh, media that we have been feasting on uh, in, on the Weast Coast. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, this week I wanted to talk about a game that I have been uh, using to distract myself from work uh, far too much. Uh, and that is a game called Hades. And uh, Hades is the fourth game from the independent game developer, uh, Supergiant Games. They uh, you know, hit it big in 2011, I believe, when Bastion, their first game, came out. And then after that, they released a Transistor and Pyre. And uh, yeah, Hades has been um, in early access for a bit. And the, uh, the gist of what the game is, it's a... Uh, is an action, it's an isometric action game kind of that resembles uh, Diablo in some ways, but it's uh, also a roguelike, which means, you know, it's basically, it's a, it's a run-based game. You, you know, you try and get as far as you can in a dungeon and then you die and you get sent all the way back to the beginning. 
the thing that is like uh, unique about Hades structurally is that it takes that like roguelike structure, this like run based structure where, you know, you're always kind of like starting from scratch and trying again. And you're like, and the idea is, you know, like you're not getting to the end of the dungeon on the first try, you're dying frequently and failing and like getting better and better and trying different, you know, trying different weapons and stuff and like seeing like, you know, how you can get the farthest. So it takes this kind of like, you know, this very um, uh, gameplay based, very uh, kind of, uh, yeah, very like systems based uh, genre and it works a story into this uh, trial and error structure. Like it, like it makes its story, like its story does not kind of like stop and start based on like failure and progression in the way that we're like used to games going, you know, like normally games, you know, like they tell a story and then you die and then you go back to a part and then you try again to progress the story. Um, here really, uh, the story progresses once you get sent back to the beginning. So you, um, basically you know in hades you get as far as you can in the dungeon you die and then you get sent back to the start of the dungeon which is the house of hades and you talk to a bunch of characters who you know like you die and you get resurrected and they talk to you saying like oh this is where you died and like okay this is how you can do better and like you watch these kind of uh relationships uh change and like that is the kind of like the thing about the game structurally that's very interesting um, otherwise, like fiction-wise, you um, you play as a character named Zagreus. He is the son of Hades, and it is a, and the game is chiefly about Zagreus's attempt to escape from uh, Greek hell and uh, find his uh, lost mother Persephone. And you get assisted by various like Greek gods and goddesses as you go. But um, yeah, that's the gist of like what the game's about, and I've been playing a ton of it uh, and really enjoying it. Before we even really get into the specifics of the game itself, um, I, I do have a few questions because this is a this represents like a multitude of genres I have little to no experience in, like uh, isometric games like Diablo or Warcraft. Um, I, I've I've never touched. Uh, I also know that there are both rogue lights and rogue likes. And I've never been fully cleared on the difference between each. Like, so before I even really get into like the nitty gritty of this game, I kind of need to go broad strokes with like, what is this game? <laughs> okay, so yeah. Um, well, I'll say like the the difference between uh, a roguelike and a roguelite, I think kind of, you know, as with a lot of like video game genre stuff kind of depends who you ask. But generally, um, the I'll say the understanding uh, that I just Googled based on um, <laughs> a, a blog on a game development site, uh, it tends to be basically like roguelites are um, more interested in. And I actually don't think this is true. Like, I think it's basically just like a matter of like how difficult they are, if we're being honest. Uh, where like roguelites tend toward there being kind of like persistence in some way between runs and roguelikes are just kind of, you know, like you do a run, you die, you start at the beginning again. Um, but basically like the, the gist of like what these things are is, yeah, like you have kind of like a task set before you at the beginning, you know, like complete a dungeon. Uh, and in the case of a game like FTL, which is a roguelite, uh, the goal is to 
I don't know, like progress through like various parts of space and beat a big bad ship at the end. Like you, you have one goal set out before you, you get like no retries, no like extra lives or anything. And you just kind of like, you know, you go, you start at the beginning, uh, all of like your progression basically happens within one single run. And then when you die, you get sent back to the beginning. And yeah, and, and that's basically it. Like that is, that is the gist of a roguelike. It's a, um, yeah, it's a game that is, yeah, like basically run-based is the, which is a, a phrase that I used a few times in my explanation. Um, that's kind of like the, the core of it. You know, like you have a task, it says do the task in one go and you're going to try and try and fail and try again to do this one thing. Um, and yeah, it's like, you know, basically get to the end in one shot. That I'd say like, you know, in like the broadest of broad strokes is like what is unique about roguelikes. There's also, oh, right. There's also like an element of procedural generation. You know, you're not doing the exact same thing each time. There is like some like light variation in uh, like level layout and like uh, there, it tends to be, yeah, it tends to be somewhat random too. Interesting. That is not something I would, I would have expected from a game like this. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you, you know, you're always like encountering like variations on, um, on like, you know, like enemy types and like areas and, um, and like level layouts. Like it's, you know, you're never like seeing anything radically different, but like there's enough of a difference where every run is a little different. So you're kind of like, you're learning, like you're always learning like the broad strokes of like the way the various like game systems kind of work together and uh, what kinds of events you could encounter and um, like what different resources are good for yeah and, and you know like then you you die and you're kind of like continually like relearning the stuff as you go and like you know like figuring out how the systems work and then eventually that like that knowledge gives you the ability to kind of like improvise as you play like you know your your new run and eventually you just kind of like you you know enough to know like okay i need to get like you know this ability i need to get this item and I need to do that quickly so I can then get this ability and this item like later on the run. And you like kind of like plan out your strategy going forward. Like that's basically like what like the kind of like, you know, without getting into like the specifics of how all these different games play, like learning a kind of like broad structure and then encountering like a random uh, assessment of challenges in a, in a semi-structured way is like the, the kind of like the grand gist of how one kind of comes out of roguelike. So, so difficulty aside, like, let's say in a hypothetical, like one time run, uh, uh, how long on average are the dungeons? Are there like puzzles involved or are they just a series of very complex time sensitive, uh, difficult combat sequences? Uh, in, uh, in Hades, uh, specifically. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in Hades, it's basically, uh, it's all combat. Like there are, there are no puzzles. It is, um, yeah, like uh, basically the game is split up into five areas. You start in Tartarus, then you go to Asphodel, then Elysium, and then uh, you hit like the gate. And then there's finally like the surface, uh, you know, of the, like the, the earth where the, the, the final big boss fight happens uh, with, you know, with your dad, with, uh, with Hades. And uh, yeah, like every, um, and then you're basically, you're going into rooms and uh, having a combat encounter and then each of the, uh, you basically pick which room to go in. Like this is kind of like the random generation thing where like you pick what room to go in based on uh, what uh, reward each room is going to give you, which you can see on like the doors beforehand. Like, okay, like this room is going to give me 
the like the, the, the level up currency it's going to give me which is called darkness you know like this this room will give me darkness this room is going to give me some kind of uh, upgrade from zeus and uh because i you know i see like the, the little like this has like an electricity bolt on the door so i can go like ah, okay that's a zeus upgrade zeus gives me things that let me like chain lightning together so i'm using a weapon on this run that like really works well with chain lightning so i'm going to pick that door like that ends up being like the kind of like the the moment-to-moment decision making and so, um oh go ahead oh no i was uh, gonna say and all this happens very quickly like it all kind of like sounds like you know like laying it out um like laying it out like this, I am bored by like the kind of like the vision of this game that I'm laying out. But like a lot of this becomes so intuitive that you're mostly kind of like there for like this very kind of like quick combat and like making these like making these decisions based on like what limited options you have of which door to go in that are ultimately very improvisational. Well, that is, well, one of the things I because I, I have heard about uh, Hades, I haven't, I, I don't know a ton about it, hence why I'm asking a lot of very basic questions. But like, I have known about Hades pretty much since it, uh, since it first went into early access. Well, in like, I want to say like, like late 2019, even like it was a while ago. Um, but so, so, so I, I've been relatively familiar with it for a while now but it sounds like one of the biggest draws has been its use of uh uh, like characters world building and lore of greek mythology is that is that a really interesting component to it or is it more of a cosmetic thing and like the the real meat and potatoes of the game is the gameplay itself um that's this is gonna sound bizarre because you've laid out like a really kind of what feels like a very strict binary but the answer is kind of both in a weird way because like it is the draw but it's also like very brief like the meat of the game is its combat like you are spending most of this game you know like deep in on these combat encounters and just kind of like giving yourself over to like this like super fast like very kind of like smooth combat but yeah, like, but the thing is, like, a lot of like the conversations with like all the Greek gods are kind of like interspersed through these moments where you're like where you're choosing upgrades, and you know you fail if you're like me, you fail frequently enough where you are going back to the start and talking to people enough times where like really what matters like it's it's ultimately you know cosmetic like it is not like a it's not a story rich game in terms of like raw like amount of time you are just engaging with the story. Like you spend more time doing the fighting than you do doing the talking, but nonetheless, like the talking, you know, like it's, it very succinctly acknowledges what you have done and where you're, where you're going and how far you've been in ways that give color to the kind of like roguelike structure that, um, that like most roguelikes I've played just don't even like come close to even like attempting to do. And like really that's like the thing that's kind of baffling about Hades and about like the um about the success that it's had so like I don't I don't play a lot of roguelikes because like I'm not really a guy who's like big into uh systems heavy games or at least like games that are like about their systems specifically like I don't like by systems you mean like their the like core gameplay loop like the gimmick of it yeah yeah exactly like i'm not like i'm not there to like you know i don't play games generally to like figure out how best to play a game like i don't really like i'm busy enough where like 
we're like learning a game and like how to play it and like basically like really mastering a game like actually doesn't really appeal to me all that much you and me both that's why that's why fighting games have just always bounced off of me i i don't care to 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 learn a game in that sense to like just get down the the very nitty-gritty binary uh expertise like i want to i would like to figure out a game relatively quickly and then build and grow from there typically speaking yeah and um yeah and like and like the thing about um and the thing that hades does in like ways that like i feel like are honestly um really kind of hard to describe until like you actually play the thing yourself which you know i know just is great for radio um <laughs> uh it, like it really like it just like it gives like enough of a kind of like narrative experience to the process of learning uh that you don't um that you never feel like it's just systems you're engaging with you know like you are kind of like you're you're learning the way this game works but also as you're learning all this stuff like you're getting you're you're getting a story about you know this like you know, basically this angry teen wanting to leave home and find his lost mom. And you're getting that, you know, no matter how many times you fail. And you're getting just like these brief, like little, like really, honestly, if I'm being totally honest, relatively superficial acknowledgements of like, you know, what you've done and like how far you've gone, but it's still like, it's enough. Like it's contextualization. It is taking all of this failure and placing it within a greater context of like, you know, possible eventual success and also like a narrative, you know, like a, a relatively simple story with like re with relatively, you know, solid emotional stakes, because it is actually like one thing that really works well about Hades is that, you know, it takes the story of like, you know, Greek gods and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, it's very like, it, it, it's not a story that's like you know, at all like it's not a good story insofar as like the, these are you know like the, these portrayals of these characters are in any way kind of like truthful to like some kind you know like tr truthful to greek myth like you know they are kind of like broad kind of caricatures of like these of these kind of like gods as they have been kind of uh taken up in pop culture nonetheless a thing that it does with them that I think is quite smart is that it basically, you know, it takes like all of these, you know, godly characters and basically just stages like a relatively small kind of like family drama where, you know, huh. like, where like the, the son is angry. He wants to leave home. He has to, you know, he happens to be, you know, the prince of hell. So he has to fight his way out of hell to do it. But then, you know, like you get sent back to the house of Hades after you die. And, you know, like Hades is there just like sitting at a desk doing you know doing paperwork going like you know would you stop doing and he's just like my idiot child stop doing this you're wasting time get back to work and like that ends up and yeah and like so you feel like you're enacting this kind of like very petulant rebellion and yeah like it just feels like it feels small and dumb in a way that like feels emotionally honest and like narratively coherent well, it's interesting because it feels like it is feels like the the antithesis, and I would have to imagine at least somewhat intentionally of like gigantic epic scale Greek god drama of like uh, like God of War, yeah. um, which is 
every god is an an impossibly powerful being and and to, to fight them is like an uh an impossibly extraordinary task and is a massive set piece whereas it sounds like with Hades you are looking at the gods in a much more human capacity and like yeah there are there are there is still combat sequences and i'm sure he's like still epic tone overall but in terms of how the characters interact with each other it's a lot it sounds like it's a lot more um not just petty but like just downright human um and 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 less like i'm avenging my family you've doomed me like like god of war like that rhetoric of god of war is is not present which is an interesting take on things yeah it is it is antithetical to God of War. And a thing that's kind of like really interesting about like all the conversations with the gods is that it's basically like they're all in the tone of like a text that you'd get from your like from your aunt when you're mad at your dad, basically. You know, okay. it's kind I of need like, you to elaborate a bit. Basically, <laughs> it's like like, you know, you get a um you know, like you, you get a, uh, an upgrade and then you hear from one of these gods and then they'll basically say something effective, like, yeah, you know, like your dad's a jerk and he has like some pretty, you know, bad history with us, but Hey, you know, we're looking forward to seeing you and uh, Hey, just, you know, just, you know, break, break out of hell soon, wishing you the best. Like it's very, like it's very matter of fact and very casual in ways that are like, are occasionally like a little like saccharine and grating to be honest, but like, you know, mostly like, I think kind of like undercuts the sort of like um, it, it undercuts like the the quote unquote seriousness of the like of the play and kind of like the the sort of like narrative of mastery where it, it's it's like humbling to listen to this in a way and like in it like for me as someone who like really doesn't like wasting time like really mastering games it, it's always kind of like highlighting in a cheeky way like the um, how little any of it matters. And I, and I find that very effective for actually keeping me engaged because it's like, it's being very honest about itself and it's, and it's like, yeah, like, you know, it's not giving you, it's, you know, it's not giving you a fantasy of saving the world. It's giving you a fantasy of enacting a kind of teen rebellion. And even then it's saying that this is just teen rebellion. Um, and yeah, and like that, and, and that feeds through like the performances of these gods, which are all very, as I've said, you know, like having a phone call from the uncle that you like. Huh. It's it's so interesting to even hear you like get into this because it actually a lot of it does weirdly remind me and I promise I won't bring up this game every single episode, but it's just it keeps being convenient. But uh uh it is very similar it's what you're describing to Hotline Miami in that uh cuz I think Hotline Miami might actually qualify as a roguelike. I guess I if uh, my understanding no, it's is um right. no because so actually here, here's a good way to kind of like put it to really kind of like nail down what a roguelike is for hotline miami to be a roguelike uh you'd have to start you know like there are like 20 levels in hotline miami you have to every time you died you'd start from level one okay and um and also the layout of all the like the thing about hotline miami is you're memorizing the layout of a room and like you know knowing and like plotting out like when to go and you it's always the same room and if hotline miami was a roguelike you'd maybe get like you know like new enemy types at like you know in, in like 
the same areas, but the layout of the rooms would be different every time. So procedural generation is a key part of, of roguelikes. Yes, it is, which is I weirdly kind of forgot about in my uh, initial run through of a roguelike. So apologies for that. No, that that is that is fine. Uh, even so, like the point being that like it, it, what you're describing is like the relationship of the actual core gameplay, the combat to the narrative, uh, seems very similar because Hotline Miami both both games. Um, even though the second does get a bit more involved in its story and it does uh, have more uh, more branches and uh, it has more to say, like both those games also simultaneously, like they call attention to themselves by also having nothing to say very intentionally. Mm-hmm. Like those scripts are, I love the scripts to both those games and I will be the first to admit that they are both kind of, breathy and talky for the sake of of uh of like basically being like performatively and like mockingly intellectual like those scripts are not as smart as they seem uh but i also and i think it is somewhat intentional and somewhat unintentional but other but regardless i do think it actually plays well because like the core thesis of those games is that like is that like violence is such a persistent part of of uh the human condition and like humans will always kill each other and like there doesn't need to be a rhyme or reason for anything and like the like whole cult that the game centers around is like a cult that sort of lives off of uh violence for the sake of violence is like their whole philosophy and like it is and again it's all kind of muddled and it's all kind of pseudo intellectual but, but that it actually serves the 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 core gameplay in that like you have this this plot that is a little meandering it's a little occasionally like you do roll your eyes at it it is it it does sometimes lack much of a much of a an understanding in what it wants to say itself uh, but that goes also uh, inversely to actually heighten the experience of the game overall and and weirdly it's short it's narrative shortcomings are actually to its own benefit in a lot of ways and it doesn't even sound like this game is like narratively flawed it sounds like it is a pretty has a pretty strong story but like you said it does it does fall into like overly saccharine territory whereas like Hotline Miami, for instance, rather than like overly saccharine, it actually does the opposite and it often falls into what's what's the word I'm looking for? Like ig- ignorantly, like like very, like pseudo intellectual and wordy for the sake of being pseudo intellectual and wordy. Yeah, but it pseudo- kind think, of works to its advantage. Yeah, I think pseudo intellectual kind of uh, captures Hotline Miami. I mean, I, I like Hotline Miami. And I think it, that it, like it's an interesting comparison, uh, especially for two games that like that play kind of similarly, but could not be tonally more different. <laughs> um, like Hades is very like light and like for an action game, very light and pleasant and um, just like very in, in pretty much inviting. Like it is like one of the most, like even in like the parts of uh, hell that seem particularly nasty, like it is uh, a very inviting game to kind of like to look at and like a, a decent space to be in. Whereas Hollow Miami is not that. But I think the thing that like Hades and Hotline Miami do, uh, like the thing that they share, like the advantage that they share, the uh, the achievement that they share, really, is like taking um, 
basically like taking like two kind of like styles of games that are like kind of based around failure and like repetition and telling a story based on that structure where like Hollow Miami, you know, is like all about, you know, like rushing into a place, dying, trying again. And like where like your, your main characters kind of like repeated uh, deaths kind of like become part of this like swirl of violence that Hollow Miami is about. And Hades, you know, like takes, yeah, it's, it takes this, like the structure that is all about, you know, like uh, dying and repeat, like, you know, lived I repeat as the Tom Cruise film uh, goes, but like, it's all about that. It's all about, you know, like failing and trying again. And it's like a structure that like seems so, uh, you know, uh, antithetical to like the way we think about stories and it manages to tell like a narrative story that like, you know, persists through all of these retries. And like, that is, um, that's impressive. And it's also something that I can't believe hasn't been attempted to at like on this uh, on this level before like it's kind of like wild to me that Hades is like the the first of these kinds of things like really try and like tell a good story in that structure so much of what you're saying about this game like I've literally had that thought earlier of like how has at least as far as I know how has this not been done already in particular like the stories of like uh talking about like the the Greek gods in like a quaint familial sense like you get kind of that I guess with something like Disney's Hercules to a much more like a much more child-friendly extent um and and less of like a deconstruction on like uh interpersonal family dynamics but but in that same sense of like seeing the Greek gods in like a lighter context, like we've seen that, but as far as like using the Greek gods as a vessel to like discuss familial conflict and, and conflict resolution, it seems like something that should have been done before. And maybe it has been, I don't know, but I can't think of an example that has tackled that. Um, Yeah. I mean, like these characters are so familiar that like, I mean, it's definitely been done, maybe not in games, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen or read American gods. So maybe American gods does something to that effect. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, Me either. That, that, yeah, that show happened. People were really hyped on it until everyone forgot it existed. Um, but that that show happened. Um, it was the 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 flash forward of its time. That was a very very specific reference I just dropped. Um, it was it's in, all conc- four of you flash forward fans out there. <laughs> uh, uh, um, in conclusion, Hades. It's fun. Cool. <laughs> I'll check it out at some point, maybe. Um, well, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, I, I have nothing else to add other than vote. Uh, register to vote and then go vote, please. Uh, yeah, that's that's my two cents. I gave my two cents on that earlier, but, but please do that if you have not already. And uh, continue to stay safe. And continue to stay safe and stay healthy, uh, just as importantly, if not more so. All right, take care, everybody. All right, bye.